You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 101. 101. How did, how did that even happen? <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> of the Plane Talking UK podcast, I'm Carl Stebbings and this week I'm in Matt's uh, conservatory studio. I know. In the know. warm this Yeah, week. I know. It's lovely and warm. And in I fact, know. actually, we've had to take layers of clothing off. It's I did, so yeah. warm. <laughs> I came here this, this evening in, in jumpers and I've, I've, I'm down to a t-shirt now because it's, uh, it's very warm in here and... Uh, uh, Mother Smith has cooked us a wonderful tea, so yes, I'm very, yes. uh, very full indeed. Very uh, as, nice. as are we all? Yes. No, that's yes. all good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I hope you all enjoyed our hundredth episode last week that we done from the uh, Norwich Aviation Museum. Mm. Uh, me and Matt had a fantastic time. Cool, there. yeah. That was so great, and uh, what an achievement to try, you know to get on board the Vulcan. It was, uh, it was definitely one in the yeah. the tick list for me. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and ironically, believe it or not, the, vi- the the streaming that we did from there is actually more reliable there. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in the middle of a field than it is here oh. in the conservatory studio so apologies if you are watching on YouTube live uh, we are having a couple of minor issues uh, with regard to stream quality here but uh, fingers crossed <laughs> it will hold out long enough to keep <laughs> us going so we've got uh, we've got quite a few people in the chat room today and uh, filling up nicely it's actually. filling up nicely there mm-hmm. in the chat room yeah we've got uh, quite a few people there. we've got uh, Marsha's in there and we've got Mila is in the chat room excellent uh, Tony S is in the chat room. Alan, Captain Al, is in the chat room. Yeah. Uh, and we have gone scrolling down here. Uh, Micah is in the main man. Micah. Yeah. He's in the uh, he's in the <laughs> chat room as well. Uh, I don't think I have I missed. I don't know. Miss anyone else? Uh, no, I think no. I think okay. Yes. Uh, Mash is just poor. Mash has just put in the chat room. Uh, she's put. Uh, That's a lot of eggs behind me. Yes, uh, there, yeah, is, yeah, there yeah, is a lot is of eggs here. Um, I should I should just stress that Mother is actually uh, she she bakes. She does lots of baking. Uh, she made us a cake. She did make us a cake. Show. Obviously, that's where the cake came from yeah. for the for the hunt the uh, the hundredth show. So uh, as she does everything from sausage rolls to I don't know what. So you can imagine with all that pastry and things, she goes through uh, she goes through an awful lot of uh, eggs very very quickly. So uh, yes, absolutely. Mm. But it, normally, apart from when we're in here, it's actually the coolest place in the house. You see, because we don't normally have the heating on in here unless we're in the studio. But I anyway. Know. Nobody really cares about that. I don't know why I'm going on. <laughs> it's all part of the fun. So uh, we've got uh, lots of news stories, but we have uh, also, uh, this episode, mm. uh, got a very special guest we have. on the line. Yes, uh, absolutely. All the way from uh, Yellowknife in Canada, where it's currently in the minus of the 30s at the moment. Uh, so welcome onto the show, Keith. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cold. Thirty-two degrees here, minus thirty-two. How do you cope with that? Seriously, uh, it's a dry cold. That's what they always say. But, um, you know, if you, uh, it's not windy, and if you wear lots of puffy clothing, it's fine. So, right. <laughs> so Keith uh, is a, a pilot uh, over there, and in Canada, and he flies uh, some of those really uh, sort of very uh, treacherously type. Uh, uh, landings and stuff over there with the ice uh, on the runways and stuff. So he flies um, away. He flies some really awesome aircraft. But we're going to get into that later on yeah, in the show. Absolutely. So stay tuned. We've got uh, lots of news. Like I said, we've got also uh, some Patreon. We're going to kick off with in the yes, moment. Yes, yeah, we'll do that in a sec. And um, we've got some bit of military news and. Uh, no, yeah. no pilot pip this no week. No pilot pip yeah. this week. We've given Pip uh, a week, or well, a, a, a day off. Yes, uh, from being uh, sending us uh, his segment in. Uh, he's had a busy, busy week this week. Blessing Pip has. Yeah. Um, but 
we have also, like I said, we have got a great guest on the show, we so have, we're yeah, going to yeah. have some interesting stories later. Yeah, can't wait. As I say, we, and uh, actually, if you, it, this is one of the options, whether you're watching it live or whether you get to watch it uh, uh, on catch-up, as, as we call it here, uh, we do have uh, some fantastic videos to share with you as well. So if you do get a chance, I know most of you listen to this um, using the old podcast um, wherever you get it from, whether it be Libsyn or, or, or wherever, or iTunes or wherever. But um, no, it is worth if you go to www.youtube.com forward slash Plain Talking UK, uh, you'll actually be able to f- um, watch um, watch our output. Now we do, as I say, yeah. do it live every week um, on YouTube. And you've got a making of video. To, I do from yeah, our one hundred. We, yeah. we have a making of video uh, from our one hundred show, which uh, we Matt has put together this week and edited <laughs> uh, Pip, together. Pip, Pip's just joined us in the chat room. He says. Oh, uh, he's, he says uh, thank you for the time off. Yeah, that's okay, Pip. <laughs> yeah, no worries. But no, we we have got a making of video for we have, last yep. week's show, which is pretty yep. good. I've, I've had a good look at that, and uh, Matt's done a fantastic job of editing that together. I'm very surprised he's not watching the rugby. I've got to be honest. I know. I'm not going to lie. He's bored. Uh, he's yeah. not bored of the rugby. You yeah. can't get bored of the rugby. <sighs> Honestly, anyway, should we, do, should we should we uh, should we kick off? Yes, we have. We're going to start. Uh, well, we have got a Patreon, a new Patreon we have, this which week. Is very exciting. Brace yourself. Um, Here comes the cheesy music, everyone. No, that was an aeroplane. <laughs> oh yes. Brace oh yeah. If, if we're really spoiled, he might even sing. I hope not. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, he can't. Uh, get, oh, there we go. We go. <laughs> can't get the epic <laughs> I'm not gonna sing tonight. You're lying. I know. No, no, no. <laughs> but no, it. we have got a new Patreon of the show, have. and for those of you listening, and uh, those of you who know, we have a Patreon fund, and uh, this it's gives the Earl Grey fund. The Earl Grey yeah. fund. It, it fills us up with Earl Grey during the it breaks. Does. Absolutely. And uh, we it, do it, have a new. It, it also it also paid for most of um, last week's live episode in the middle of a field. Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, it paid for the uh, paid for the paid for the. Uh, the Broadband, yeah, absolutely. wireless broadband, yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, we have got a new Patreon who has uh, very generously donated uh, via the Patreon fund from our website. So thank you to York Mola. I yeah. hope I pronounced your surname right. Uh, but York Mola, he has donated via the Patreon fund. So thank you ever so much to you and to everyone who's donated uh, uh, via Patreon to the show. We really do appreciate your donations, and they do make a heck of a difference to uh, to the uh, costs that we incur doing the show. Yeah, absolutely. Which we love doing anyway. We do. So it's good. Yeah. So thanks to you guys, and uh, yeah, thanks to you, York, for your generous donation. Ah, well, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> but we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Yes, I'm ready. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go. Hi, So, kicking off this week's first news story then, on the Independent website, and the headline, British Airways removes plane from service after finding bed bugs on board. Oh dear. Yes, I said bed bugs. (laughs) So, uh, the airline has confirmed this week to the Independent that the uh, aircraft was taken briefly out of circulation. And they uh, con- they actually confirmed that they f- did find bed bugs on board the aircraft. That's really horrible. <laughs> uh, the airline uh, said that the plane was taken out of circulation after uh, reports in the Sun that an infested plane was allowed to keep flying. 
The Sun said that uh, a row had been closed on a 747 flying from US to Heathrow after bedbugs had been spotted on board. BA said that it would never allow a plane to continue to fly if it knew there was an issue. And a spokesperson uh, from the uh, Independent said whenever a report of bedbugs is uh, received, uh, they have to launch a thorough investigation and, if appropriate, remove the aircraft uh, from service and use specialist teams to treat it. The presence of bed bugs is a real issue faced uh, normally by hotels, um, yeah. well, obviously hotel rooms. Um, but uh, BA that operate more operates they operate more than two hundred and eighty thousand flights every year, and uh, re- these reports of bed bugs are extremely rare. Mm. Nevertheless, they have to be vigilant about the uh, issues and continually monitor the aircraft. There are no official uh, statistics for bed bugs on airplanes, <laughs> but a referral site for extermination services called bedbugs.com Lovely. said that bed bugs <laughs> thrive when people are kept in close proximity and where there is a frequent turnover of people. Mm. On airplanes, people are in close proximity and are not able to move other than on the plane, and their belongings are required to stay untouched for long periods of time. This is an excellent recipe for bed bug transferal. Oh blimey! Bed bugs. That's really horrible. Of all the things <laughs> to experience on on an on an aircraft, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, is that? I mean, I haven't lost the plot here. This isn't this isn't normal, is it? I mean, has anybody else come across this particular issue? I mean, well, no. bed bugs are back since they stopped using DDT to eradicate them, and they're they're becoming more prevalent now in hotels, and they're you can see them sort of making their way across North America at least. Like they're they're showing up in better places now it's oh, not, just, just, it's just, I, I would have yeah. thought I would have thought Keith that, that, that the cold would sort of keep those uh, yeah, the bed bugs well, away from that's one way that you can kill them if you discover them you take the things outside and let them go below zero and the, the cold will kill the bed bugs but uh, of course they're domestic pets they live in mattresses and they um, they bite you while you're sleeping um, that's really I'm absolutely horrified I think if they're on an aircraft they could get onto your clothes anybody's clothes and then yeah. go to your house and and then, and, know, then, and then suddenly you've got a problem in the fact that that you 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 just had a flight home if you like, and then suddenly when you get when when you get back you know suddenly your house has got big bugs. Oh, I no. mean it's just a, I, I I don't know I I, I guess it it's a kind of I suppose it's inevitable, isn't it? If, as you say, you look perfect breeding grounds for them, but I, 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 it's not something you think about. Is I mean, Marsha's just put in the chat room that uh, that that she's had she had them once too, and they had to get rid of the whole bed. Really? Yes. Yeah, just yeah. throw the whole thing away. Yeah. Oh, that's just horrible. I, 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 I... And, and Micah, Micah's just put that uh, maybe that we need to pay an extra fee to fly in non-bed oh, bug areas. No. <laughs> no, no, let's not give Ryanair any ideas, eh? It's just, just, like, just, just not going to go go forward. Anyway, on to the next story. and A special uh, story just for Matt. Yes, absolutely, because for some reason I always end up with the Ryanair stories. But anyway, we mentioned them a moment ago. This is on the Fortune.com website. And this, is, this, this one I chose basically because I've been in charge of the stories this week. Carl's been very busy so it's yes. yeah so brace yourself if they're really terrible you know who to blame um it's uh, yeah as i say it's fortune.com is the website and the headline is ryanair ceo says he will um sorry he will uh, plaster his uh, plaster his plans with anti plaster his planes sorry planes. <laughs> i'll start again i haven't had a drop i promise ladies and gentlemen uh, plaster his planes with anti-brexit 
slogans. Uh, Michael O'Leary, CEO of Ryanair, has built his reputation on his quotability and unapologetic pursuit of cost-cutting, which has made the discount airline one of Europe's most successful. Um, He's especially famous for calling a customer an idiot when he complained about having to pay to print off her boarding passes. Uh, It seems the outspoken executive now has a new topic uh, on which to unleash his unmitigated candour, and that is the Brexit. Now, for those of you who don't live in this area, they know basically Britain is voting to whether they're going to leave the Eurozone or not. And basically, Michael O'Leary is not keen on that. Prime Minister David Cameron on Sunday set June the 23rd as the date of the referendum to determine if Britain remains a member of the European Union and business leaders are starting to disclose their opinions. On Wednesday, O'Leary, an Irishman, said that from now until late June, he would bore everyone to death with his anti-Brexit messages. He strongly favours Britain staying in the EU. He even plans to communicate his stay position by plastering pro-Euro slogans on Ryanair planes. O'Leary's planes employ 3,000 people in the UK and shuttles more than 35 million passengers per year between the UK and Europe. London is a major hub for Ryanair, with 20% of its passengers expected to depart from airports there this year. But if Britain's exit from the EU, known as Brexit, occurs, O'Leary says the airline would invest faster in other European countries, such as the Czech Republic and Poland. He said Brexit would not be an Armageddon, but that he did warn the Ryanair flight prices would ride if Britain leaves the block. He credited Europe's deregulation for lowering the cost of air travel, which has created cheaper holidays for British citizens. An independent Britain could increase fares since the airline might have to put up taxes if the economy soars after an exit. Plus, he said, a standalone UK government might foster a bureaucracy that would limit competition and drive up costs. In advocating for Britain to stay in the EU, O'Leary goes up uh, against leaders such as uh, London Mayor Boris Johnson. Oh, what a real Boris. treat. Uh, who is so far the most notable name uh, to support departing the political bloc. Cameron wants to stay in and, and an opt uh, by Johnson. Um, sorry, an open opt by never mind I I, I forget that bit anyway you get the gist of the story basically O'Leary he can do it whatever he wants yeah basically they're his planes if he wants to put some kind of advertising (laughs) slogan or something on it he'll he'll do it anyway regardless of what anyone thinks I I, I genuinely haven't made my mind up by the way yet I really don't know whether I want to be in or out my oh, really? gut, my gut feeling says I want to be. That's out. a whole nother discussion. Here. Is it maybe not one it for the show? It will in the yeah. chat room now. <laughs> yeah. Everyone will in the okay. chat room. Yeah. Oh dear, never mind. Mad. Hello, uh, Pip's cheering again. I, I, I'm guessing a certain result might be going oh, in our favour again. Yeah, <laughs> something, nope. something's happened with the golf or something. Oh no, golf. Sorry, rugby, rugby. Oh, honestly, you are an embarrassment <laughs> sometimes. Honestly, I'm so oh, sorry, know. listeners. I, I am so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, Keith, that you haven't had the uh, pleasure. Of, uh, of flying on Ryanair. No, from what I've heard, I'd rather take a ship. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. I'm surprised he hasn't covered his airplanes with Walmart and McDonald's advertisements already. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he can draw whatever he likes on them, I suppose. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. Absolutely. And, if, and, and his opinion is his own. He's entitled to have it, isn't he? But uh, yeah. yes. We've got no in Canada that already bores people to death. <laughs> is there I mean, what what is there a sort of uh, an equivalent uh, yeah what, you what's like, your uh, low what's Canada? your low cost uh, ca- airline in canada keith uh, we don't really have anything that's as blatant as ryanair we've got <laughs> westjet which uh is a high density low cost carrier but they're not ultra low cost they're no. still so competitive i suppose and uh hmm. air canada lower cost subsidiary um they call jazz that's uh 
those those are probably the equivalents in Canada, but they're not um, not anywhere near as inexpensive as Ryanair. Uh, no, 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 indeed. No. As I say, I mean, we, we we cover stories like this every single week, but then it's just a, it's just a continuous ride that we all still use them because yeah. at the end of the day, especially when to go, you know, my auntie lives in in Ireland, Wendy, and and so when I go to go and see her, um, you know, you can do it for seventy pound return, you know, seventy pound sterling return. So that's uh, you know incredible. So moving on to our next story then on the Guardian website, this one. And the headline, Canadian Consortium Buys London City Airport for £2 billion. Wow. I didn't realise it was up for sale. No, nor did I. I'd have put an offer in. (laughs) Really? That that would have been a great place to to hold the show. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I I can imagine. With our own runway. Yeah. And we could have Pip, you know, flying in. (laughs) Flying in and out. Captain Al, you know, coming in every now and again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, somewhere for Keith to land also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got the uh, the Thames, which uh, obviously Keith could land on. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. With, with his skis. Yeah, it's yeah. all good. Yeah. <laughs> More about that later. So London City Airport <laughs> has been sold to a Canadian consortium for around £2 billion. The airport in the Docklands largely serves a clientele of business executives and has been brought by a consortium led by the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund and uh, Borealis, the pairing uh, whose UK infrastructure investments include HS1. Other reported bidders were the Chinese transport uh, company HNA and wow. another Canadian consortium. And as uh, as for the price, the capital's smallest airport exceeded early expectations. The value of the airport, which serves around 4 million passengers a year, has rocketed over the past two decades. Global Infrastructure Partners, its owner until now, also has Gatwick and Edinburgh in its portfolio. It paid a third of, uh, of that price a decade ago to buy the airport uh, from the Irish businessman Dermot Desmond, who had purchased it in 1995 for just £23.5 million. Oh, is that all? Uh, it was an investment that had been considered risky, while Canary Wharf, a major source of business passengers, uh, was in administration. Uh, the Ontario Teachers and Borealis Consortium also included AIMCO and Wren House, uh, while the defeated Canadian Consortium included PSP Investments, a pension fund that covers the country's mounted uh, police. Uh, expansion plans for the Central London Airport have been blocked by the mayor, uh, ma- the mayor, mayor, the mayor yes. Boris Johnson, and uh, City Airport is appealing against Johnson's decision to block its proposed two million pound expansion plan, which would have doubled passenger traffic by uh, 2030, extending the terminal and uh, the airfield to allow 50% more flights. Uh, campaigners attempting to curb its present operation due to noise and pollution concerns have warned that the 2030 vision would mean a huge increase in flights and disruption over the inner north east London. The sale may raise eyebrows for the boss of London City's biggest uh, customer, British Airways. Willie Walsh, chief executive of BA, uh, owner IAG, recently dismissed the £2 billion uh, valuation. Uh, as foolish and he warned BA was prepared to move its operations elsewhere should any buyer attempt to increase the landing charges to cover the cost of its purchase. Mm. The price is around 30 times London City earnings before interest tax and depreciation <laughs> and uh, amortisation in 2015. While said he could not see how any buyer could recover or make any return on that investment unless they make significant increases to airport charges. Um, I mean, this mm. these charges they're on about here. You know, that's part of the reason why I think we we tend to have lost quite a few airlines from Norwich Airport, our yep. local airport, over the last few years. 
and uh, I know that we recently lost uh, I think we lost Air Malta from uh, from Norwich Airport right. I think they're pulling out um, I think this year and it's down to the cost the cost of actually of flying into right. um, and the services involved with you know mm. flying out and obviously here at London City this the with the buyers here buying this for two billion I've, I've heard a lot um, I've heard a lot of stories actually um, you say that uh, it's also expensive for like yourself yeah. um, if, if you have to land in there when you're doing your cross-country uh, thing and also uh, I, I, don't, I don't know whether he's joking but um, uh, Pip says that apparently Safejet were, were uh, it, trying to buy it for 800 million or something silly really like, yeah something like that maybe Maybe I misread that. Hang on, uh, that's, uh, that's Pip's um, piggy bank. Uh, right, is it? Oh, I, I didn't know whether it was just him. Him being for eight hundred million a few years back. Yeah, probably. Yeah, oh, blimey. So it's gone up in value a little bit. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> I've never flown from London City Airport. No, never. I have. I've, I've flown. I've flown over it. I've seen seen it from the sky, but I've mm. never actually landed at London City Airport. Uh, they've got that um, that um, Emirates um, Air. Oh, the thing. Air. I don't yeah. know if, if you if you've seen that, and uh, I actually uh, I was actually I watched uh, something take off, which was quite cool. And if I if I'd have been more organised about it, I could have videoed it because I had a fantastic uh, uh, had a fantastic view. So the chat room is filling up. Even more, we've got uh, quite a lot of people now appearing in the chat yeah. room. Uh, hello to everyone who's uh, who's come in since we started. Uh, uh, Short is in. Short Barker is in. Uh, Glenn Towler. Uh, uh, and Pip says he's Pip, not joking. Pip says he's not joking. No, no. no. Uh, so hello to all you guys who've joined us in there. Yeah. Thanks for joining Absolutely. us this evening. Yes. So okay. next story, moving on. Yeah, certainly. Yes, it is. Uh, stop moving the mouse, and, and I'm will. not touching that. <laughs> Honestly, it's no trouble when we share a laptop, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is uh, the, on the Coventry Telegraph.net, and uh, this is the headline is Birmingham Airport Drama as Plane Veers Off Runway. Now, I was desperately trying to get uh, some video of this because I, I know I'd sort of seen on the news wires uh, some of that, but Birmingham passengers had a lucky escape today after a plane arriving from Germany veered off the runway and ended up on a grassed area. A dramatic picture taken by a traveller. Um, on another jet showed the Airbus A320 surrounded by emergency fire and rescue vehicles and uh, I'll just uh, do that and then you can sort of see what they're talking about yes there's literally it's completely missed the runway isn't it it's, it's just on the grass. yeah yeah absolutely quite quite how that happened I don't know I shall talk to the experts about that in a moment uh, officials at the airport said the plane which had just arrived from uh, Paderborn in Germany shortly after 2 p.m. on Sunday was taxiing uh, when it for unknown reasons turned off the runway a spokesman for the Birmingham airport said that the airport's rescue services rushed to the scene, but there were no reports of any injuries. She said that the incident had not caused any delays for passengers on other flights. Well, no, because it was nowhere near the runway. It was on, it was on the grass. Uh, the spokesman for Birmingham airport said Birmingham can, airport can confirm that the A320 aircraft belonging to charter company Small Planet was manoeuvred off the taxiway into the grass after landing from Paderborn at 13.20 today. Um, passengers have safely disembarked and they have been bussed to the terminal. There are no reports of any injuries. The uh, aircraft is currently positioned on a grass area adjacent to the taxiway. The airport's rescue service is in attendance and the runway remains open. Very strange. I know, I saw this story earlier on in the week and I was, mm. I, uh, when I saw the pictures online, yeah. I was trying to work out who they were. Um, it's one of those airlines that uh, you, you, know, you don't, you don't really hear huge amounts no. about it, but Small Planet Airlines, yeah. um, they were founded in 2007, commenced operations in 2008, and uh, they uh, their operating bases, they've got uh, quite a lot around, uh, well, uh, Villainous mm. Airport, Warsaw, uh, Gdansk Airport, 
and they also use Gatwick Airport as well as one of their uh, kind of um, ba operating bases mm -hmm. as well. Um, okay, cool. But uh, they are a Lithuanian right. airline, okay. small planet, and have yeah. a fleet of all Airbus aircraft. They've got seven A320s, and they've got uh, 21 of Captain Al's favourite aircraft on order, the uh, A321. Mm. So very strange. As I say, it's just very strange why it suddenly veered off. The, I mean, well, the, I... Uh, stories rather lacking in detail I suppose but I know uh, well perhaps Pip will do a segment on uh, will he? On, right, on, on, on planes runway excursions <laughs> uh, you're setting his homework well, I think just a video here of somebody else's view and um, the uh, the uh, picture that you have there is, is kind of misleading because it's taken over a, a little hill but the aircraft's actually it's just one wheel's come off the edge of the taxiway it's just oh, the way right. it's been photographed makes it look like a it looks like it's all cracked into the cross edge. country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, see, look, see, look at this. Yeah, see, much better. What's the local airport to 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 Yuki? Uh, the Yellowknife Airport. Um, it's, uh, Charlie Yankee Zulu Foxtrot. If you look it up on the ICAO, um, <clears throat> it's got uh, two runways. One's six thousand feet. One's about four thousand feet. Wow. Two runways bigger than Norwich, then. <laughs> yeah, just slightly. <laughs> just slightly, yeah. And cooler. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, very, yeah. Minus yeah. thirty-two currently. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so next story on the Crawley News yep. uh, site headline: Norwegian to fly new large Dreamliner planes on routes from Gatwick Airport. Mm. So Norwegian uh, are going to be able to fly more passengers from Gatwick using less fuel. Uh, to destinations across America when the new larger 787-9 uh, Dreamliner uh, aircraft launches next month. Uh, the new low-cost airline, uh, well, they're not quite new, they've been going for quite a while, Norwegian, <laughs> has taken delivery of its first 787-9 uh, uh, Dreamliner, yeah. which can take um, on more uh, 53 more people than the uh, existing Dash 8 Dreamliner. And uh, it's going to be used to carry more cargo as well, using 20% less fuel and creating 20% less uh, emissions as well, Ooh. which is what everyone's more worried about yes, these days. Yes, saving the planet. Yes. I know. The, uh, this marks our continued uh, commitment to the company's global expansion, ex ensuring passengers across the world access to high-quality flights at a low fare. Norwegian's CEO Bjorn Joss said... Uh, the Swedish actress Greta Garbo adorns the tail mm. of the aircraft. Its first commercial flight will commence on February the 27th, which is it's today. today. Yes. Uh, that's going to fly from Oslo to Orlando in Florida. And, the, uh, and from then, the aircraft will operate uh, routes to and from Gatwick. And uh, Matt can just put that picture there on the screen. Oh, You'll see that right. there. Okay, right. <laughs> you're you're testing my skills. There, there we go. Yes, there we go. Right. There's the lovely Norwegian. Now these, Matt, um, for those of you who've got the uh, wonderful Flight Radar 24 mm. app, other apps are available, including Plane Finder. Right. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll know these uh, these particular aircraft, the Norwegian aircraft, uh, fly quite a lot over where we live here on the east coast mm. on their way out, uh, out up to you know uh, to from, from the previous story by the way uh, glenn was just saying that maybe a tire blew off maybe yeah, a tire possibly, blew on yeah. landing absolutely yeah. very very possible yeah. had a, a really tricky crosswind landing just prior to that so that could be malfunction breaker tire or something that's uh, do we, you see 
I, I, I'm, I'm rubbish at this. Why, why, why do I do this every week? I have no idea. What we'll we'll fly Keith in next week. He can yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'd love to just sit here and press buttons. That'd be fine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you can do, you can do the next story. Oh, can I? Right. Mm. Uh, well, I'll try. Okay. Right. This is on the Travel Weekly website, and the headline is Heathrow, Gatwick, and Manchester Airports against the Brexit. Uh, the bosses of Heathrow, Gatwick, and Manchester Airport Group are among about 200 business leaders calling for the UK to stay part of the European Union. This is all in about trying to keep the balance, essentially, because Ryanair beforehand were um, uh, uh, sort of saying that they were going to uh, pull out. Uh, sorry, they wanted to remain part of the euro. And uh, mm. yes, other travel uh, sector signatories to a letter to the Times published today include uh, TUI Travel, which I think is what used to be Thomas Cook, isn't it? Or, yes. Yeah. Or Thompson. Yeah. No. Thompson. Or Thompson. Thompson. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, travel subsidiary board member Peter Long, Ryanair chief executive Michael O'Leary, EasyJet uh, chief executive Carolyn McCall, AirAsia and Tune Group chief executive Tony Fernandez, and LastMinute.com co-founder Martha Lane Fox. They claim bre- the Brexit will put jobs at risk and counter the out of EU movement. Supported by London Mayor Bro- Boris Johnson and cabinet members such as Michael Gove. This is obviously very English. Uh, the, <laughs> the letter says, following the Prime Minister's renegotiation, we believe that Britain is uh, better off staying in a reformed European it's Union. It's not the U-talk today in the news, isn't there, really? Uh, there is, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry about that. But uh, it is, as I say, if you live here in the UK, you'll know it's an absolutely massive story here. And the great news uh, is that there's only four months to go before we actually have our referendum. So... <laughs> Way of oh, yeah. I just plenty of time to uh, you know fully absorb the entire. I'm, I'm, I'm too excited in uh, in the aviation side of Are things. You? Okay, yes, yeah. no, fair enough. Anyway, on that note, let's move straight on to the next story. So the next story on <laughs> Travel Weekly and uh, the headline: EasyJet renews Sabre deal to target business travellers. Mm. Uh, EasyJet has renewed its deal with GDS Sabre, giving uh, agents in Europe access to airline fares. The airline struck deals with the major GDS uh, specifically to target corporate travellers and uh, today 20% of its passengers uh, travel uh, for business purposes. Uh, Peter Duffy, EasyJet's commercial director, said EasyJet made its inventory available through uh, the GDS in 2007 and it uh, remains of paramount importance to have a key distributor like Sabre accessing our fares, including key products and inclusive fares and corporate negotiated fares. Uh, we continue to deliver the uh, on strategy that uh, we launched in 2010 to increase our appeal to the business travel sector. Enhancements including allocated seating, inclusive fares and fast track security have all played a part in enabling EasyJet to attract more business passengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harold Eisenacker, Senior Vice President of uh, EMEA Sabre, said that uh, we have collaborated closely with EasyJet over the past eight years to support their business goals and corporate travel strategy. During the time, uh, Sabre has helped increase sales among corporation uh, travel management companies and travel agencies and expanded EasyJet's reach in new and existing markets where Sabre has entered and grown. Uh, We look forward to continuing our close relationship and uh, EasyJet said the GDS relationship it has established uh, has enabled it to grow its presence in the business travel market and sign a large number of corporate contracts in the past five years. That's big business, you know. With these mm. the airlines, we you know we associate Ryanair and EasyJet as carrying predominantly people going on holiday to yep. uh, you know to, to to Europe. But you know Ryanair and EasyJet, especially EasyJet as well, do have a, a, quite a large number of business. 
yeah. p- passengers who are flying purely uh, to to Europe for business. Um, well, of course, I mean the net sort of gives you it gives you this story. I mean, in the same way that you know, obviously that we're chatting to to Keith now via FaceTime in this particular case. You know, I mean, they give you this impression that people don't need to travel to the other side of the world to do business, but I mean that's really not true because you can't. Yeah, I love technology. I mean, that's why you know I do what I do. <laughs> I mean, I love technology, but if you if you've got to have a business meeting, sometimes there is no there is no alternative for sitting in front like like you and I are now sitting across a table from each other you can have an open-ended discussion you, you know you can exchange uh, notes you can exchange papers and all that kind of thing I mean it's you know it, people are always going to fly to especially if especially in Europe when you have got people like Ryanair and EasyJet making it cheaper to go to Milan for example than mm. it is to, to get on a train and go to London I mean that that's the crazy thing and like the story says you know I, you know I bet EasyJet and Ryanair both have I bet they've got some pretty mega deals with these mm. big corporate companies to make the fares, you know, a bulk buy fare really, really cheap. So, not that, you yeah. know, it needs to have them cheap, but you know, these no. are big companies. But they um, obviously have got group deals, you know, buy one, get, get <laughs> buy, one buy free. One, get one free. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, so, on to the next uh, story. Next story, yes. And this is. Oh, uh, what, another one? I know. This is crazy, isn't it? It's, uh, it's an <sighs> awful, uh, awful, awful thing. Um, and I'll, I'll leave you to take that. So this story is on The Scotsman, and it's a story that we cover far too often on the show. And uh, again, lasers have been shone at eight planes landing at Glasgow Airport here in the UK. Mm. Uh, Police have launched investigations after uh, lasers were shone at eight aircraft on approach to Glasgow's airport, and this was last weekend. Uh, officers are reported uh, to be keen to be tracing these people involved in the incidents, yeah. which uh, most of which took place between seven in and nine in the evening uh, last Sunday. Uh, the incidents came just days after the Virgin Atlantic pilot that was dazzled by a laser, uh, laser uh, during a transatlantic flight to New York's John F. Kennedy Airport had to make a return to London Heathrow. Uh, Police believe the majority of the lasers were shone at the aircraft from the Knightswood area of Glasgow. And uh, an eighth laser is believed to have been aimed at the plane from the banks of the River Clyde around midnight. All the plane's target had landed safely at Glasgow Airport and a police spokesperson confirmed uh, that officers were investigating the reports. The British Airline Pilots Association, BALPA, claims that uh, lasers can result in temporary loss of vision and uh, visual interference that persists after the source of illumination has been removed, among other issues. Mm. In November last year, a pilot sustained an injury to uh, an eye after a military-strength laser was reportedly shot into the cockpit of an aircraft as it approached London's Heathrow Airport. The pilot was left with a burn retina and had to be treated in hospital. After the incident involving the Virgin Atlantic flight, Balpa General uh, Secretary Jim McColson said that this is not an isolated incident. Aircraft are attacked with lasers at an alarming rate and with lasers ever more increasing strength. Mm. Uh, Modern lasers have the power to blind and certainly to act as a huge distraction and dazzle the pilots during critical phases of flight. So between 2009 and uh, June 2015, nearly 9,000 laser incidents across the UK were reported to the Civil uh, Aviation Authority here in the UK. Mm, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on this story, Keith? I mean, it's, uh, have you had any experience of this? I mean, I suppose that's one of the advantages about flying sort of perhaps more rural uh, areas. Yeah, we don't fly over uh, built-up areas very often up here, but uh, I mean... 
it's certainly an issue in Canada as well, in the uh, in the, the, the more urban areas closer to the border. Yeah. Um, I think anybody that would do that on purpose deserves to be drawn and quartered. Yeah. But um, I also suspect, though, that a lot of these incidents might be young people that are just playing with their laser. You know, I mean, it's um, seeing if they can bounce the laser off the belly of the aircraft or see the, you know, I don't know if all these incidents are malicious intent, mm. but um, certainly it's dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It makes me angry. It's, it needs it's, to stop. As I say, it's just worrying. The only thing that worries me, obviously, is they're covering covering these stories massively in the news here in the UK, um, and but the incidences as a result of that are almost going up. It's you know, it's perhaps a certain uh, niche niche of our community here here in the UK, perhaps where where um, you know they're sort of seeing the news stories and you know being stupid, frankly. Oh no, it's happening all over North America, especially in the United States. You hear in the American news. Uh, almost weekly from somebody getting a, a laser strike and especially over places like las vegas and and uh oh, oh, I, hello. I don't know how me. much of it is deliberate and how much of it is just a young person playing with the laser but i think they should have a public service campaign or public message yeah i mean you know i'd put out some television ads uh, yeah that's a good mm. point yeah i'm surprised they haven't sort of done that really i mean perhaps perhaps they were just sort of hoping that uh uh, covering it heavily in the news, if you like, would would work quite well. But then, as you say, I mean, but, I mean the, you, the people who are probably doing it are not likely to be watching the six o'clock news, for example. But you, you know yourself, Matt. In the UK, we've got some, we've had some fairly graphic uh, commercials regarding road traffic accidents, motorbikes, and with speeding yeah. and stuff in the UK, where mm. these ads have been put out. You know, and they're they're fairly, you know, they do make you horrific. Yeah. Stop and look, you know, in these yeah. adverts. And to do with you know with these, but they should do something similar. I, uh, I guess, I I guess fortunately, so far there has been no major incident as a result. Okay, we've had well, one that's been yeah. turned round. I mean, I just hope they don't wait until something awful happens before they, you know, as you say. Mm. I, I mean, that's a great idea. What, what Keith was saying, actually, you know, some public information films, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, sort of get get the images out there. Anyway, on to the uh, penultimate story. Penultimate story. story yeah. Yes, absolutely. Before we move on to a uh, top ten, which I've chosen in honour of uh, last week's episode. Uh, by the way, uh, a very good uh, evening to uh, David. He's now in the chat room. Uh, we met David on Saturday at the hundredth. Hello, David. Indeed. He's, he's uh, also, thought out now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we all have. Actually, the, the, the chat room's going crazy about um, seat pitches and things. They're talking about uh, Norwegian oh, uh, yeah. airways yeah. and stuff, and they're talking about the, the seat pitch um, not being very generous. And uh, one of the comments I was reading, actually, if you were a taller person, uh, not um, not great news, I, I think, is the... Uh, and David is a taller person. He is he? Yeah, very David's much a taller, taller person, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, the story that I was going to move on to, this is a, a press, uh, press and journal, the Press and Journal. Uh, this is a slightly worrying story. So if you have an unpaid speeding fine, you could be arrested at the airport. A pilot who had been cited to appear in court over an unpaid fine but failed to turn up was arrested by police when he was passing through Birmingham Airport. The man from Dumbartonshire owed money for a traffic offence and was arrested after a warrant was issued by Dumbarton Justice for the Peace Court. Uh, he was released by police at the airport after paying the £150 fine in full. People without uh, without standing fines run the risk of embarrassment and disruption to their travel plans by being arrested at the airport. A shoplifter who owed £200 was held in January at Glasgow Airport on a warrant issued by Aberdeen Sheriff uh, and JP Court. The woman settled in full before she was allowed to proceed and a man who had had a £230 fine 
uh, unpaid fine for a road traffic offence, paid up in full after being arrested at Aberdeen Airport, uh, returning from a trip to Istanbul. Arresting non-payers as they travel through ports or airports is one of a number of measures uh, available to the Scottish Courts and Tribunal Service for recovering unpaid fines. Other measures uh, include freezing bank accounts, taking money directly from earnings or benefits and clamping cars. A new report says that by, released by the SCTS today reveals that the fines collection rate remains consistently strong. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so this is obviously sort of very much focused around um, uh, around uh, sort of Scotland, really. It's uh, I don't know. It's an, it's an unusual approach, I suppose. <laughs> no, I know collaring people. Yeah, yeah but, absolutely. Uh, I mean, but but the fine gets paid, I suppose. Well, yeah, so, yeah. Before indeed. you hop on a plane, to, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Somewhere far, far away. I, I suppose you could argue that uh, <laughs> if you can afford to get on a plane to to fly, you can afford to pay. You can afford to pay the fine. Oh yeah, but, uh, yeah, yes, definitely. It's a, it's a slightly more aggressive approach than perhaps I would have expected. But uh, there we are. Hey, it's uh, next thing there'll be uh, fines going out for pilots yeah. speeding. Oh, what, what in the air? <laughs> How does that even work? <laughs> you got you got some policeman with a radar gun trying to actually catch the plane, catch make sure he's doing the right <laughs> doing the right amount of knots, not breaking the sound barrier or anything like that. No, that was Concord's job. Oh, and, and that's right. that's way gone. Yeah, we won't talk about that. So our last <gasps> Jennifer Parkinson. Oh, Jenny's, Jenny's in. in the park. Hello, hello, hello in Jenny. Rome. Yeah. Greetings uh, in Rome. There, uh, uh, is she in Rome or is she oh, here in the, she UK. Might be in the UK? You might actually. be in the UK. Jenny, are you are you here in Norfolk or are you uh, are you still away? She's probably yeah, she's probably back here in in the UK. I reckon. I th- yeah, I think she said she was coming back to the UK. Anyway, in honour of our um, uh, fantastic uh, outside broadcast last week, uh, we have for you a very special top ten, and it is uh, the ten uh, the world's ten best and most amazing aviation Ape. museums uh, since the Wright brothers flew the uh, first aircraft in the world. The aviation sector has witnessed momentous changes over the years. The aviation museums around the world offer a great understanding of the history and also showcase the latest technology regarding the aviation. Here is a list of the top 10 aviation museums in the world. So, in at number 10. So, at number 10 of the best aviation museums in the world, it's the Pima Air and Space Museum in Arizona. Uh, here you can see uh, the world's smallest biplane and the SR 71 Blackbird, the fastest spy plane. And uh, this museum, uh, which is uh, largely privately funded and uh, established in the best year of all 1976 a great year that a was great you know, a great year, year that yeah, was absolutely yes. uh, the uh, museum <laughs> all the best people arrived in the world then yes absolutely including me and you. <laughs> the uh, the museum spread over an area of 127 acres and uh, is oh, i really want to go there right that's next year's yeah. holiday sword <laughs> anyway number 9 at number 9 it's the central air force <gasps> museum i'm going to have to bring that Monino. picture up i'm sorry i'm going to have to bring that picture up before you move the mouse that is an absolutely st- what on earth is that that's is that a, like the d- that's a helicopter uh, that's plane. A, he- a heliplane <laughs> a heliplane uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's one of those it makes me laugh. You've got curtains in the front window there, which is quite interesting. Well, one has to be comfortable during one's flight, so. obviously. <laughs> so the Central Air Force Museum in Monino, it's got 173 aircraft, and it's one of the largest aviation museums in the world, located right. at Monino Airfield. The uh, museum was established in 1958, although the public were only allowed uh, into the museum from 1999. 
the chief exhibit exhibits uh, include aircraft such as MiGs, Sukhoi planes, Tu-142 bombers, Tu-22 bombers, and uh, a Tu-144 supersonic passenger airplane. Wow. Uh, wonderful. I want to go there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, number eight. So the next one, uh, especially uh, for our guests, this one is yeah. the Canada Aviation and Space Museum in Ottawa. Uh, the eighth spot on the list of the top ten of museums, and uh, this one, the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum, was established uh, in 1964 at the Ottawa Airport. Uh, the museum houses an impressive collection of over 130 aircraft from around the world. And the chief exhibits include a Canadarm, uh, the Canadian made a part of the Space Shuttle Endeavour as well. And uh, the vintage uh, bush, uh, bush planes from the uh, 1920s and uh, Canada's military aircraft, which took part in the uh, World Wars as well. Uh, just going back to the one we were talking about a little while, the, the one with the curtains in the front there, uh, Glenn Taylor was saying it's actually a Russian helicopter. It's the only one that was built, he, which he's pretty sure of. It's the only one that was ever actually built. It's, I mean, it looks like a, it's like a. Cr- it is it literally does. a cross between an aeroplane and a. And, and Sherlock Backer uh, said that he thinks it's from a Disney movie. Well, you guess is. true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you should have a silly face pointed painted on it. Uh, in at number seven. At number seven, it's the China Aviation Museum in Beijing, boasting Be- more than uh, two hundred aircraft uh, the, across the different models. The China Aviation Museum is uh, the best of its kind in Asia, located near the Shaotang Hill. It was opened in 1989. An amazing aspect of the museum is that a major part of it is located inside a cave on the side of a hill. (laughs) The prominent attractions include a replica of the Wright Flyer, uh, former Chinese Premier Mao Zedong's personal aircraft, and a number of World War II aircrafts and Chinese aircraft which are on display as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that one. Number six. So at number six, it's the French Air and Space Museum at Le Bourget. Ooh, ooh, get you with your fancy pronunciation. I am yeah. really good. <laughs> I know. One of the most famous aviation museums in the European mainland, and the museum hosts the only remaining part of the White Bird, the aircraft used by Charles Nungesser, and I hope I've pronounced that right. Probably not. And Francois hey. Colli. In their unsuccessful attempt to make the first transatlantic flight from Paris to New York in 1927, mm-hmm. uh, the museum was opened in 1919 and it hosts around 20,000 exhibits. My God, uh, which include 150 aircraft. Other major displays include two Concords and various gliders, wow. missiles. I didn't and know there was rockets. more than. I didn't know there was that many Concords in the world. There was. Well, there was. Yeah. Uh, seven each side. The, really? the French had seven, and, and uh, we, we had, had seven. Oh, yeah, right. there was fourteen. Yeah, no sign of the Norwich Aviation Museum yet. Very disappointed to see that. Uh, number five. Number five. It <laughs> is the Prague Aviation Museum in Kebbly. This, this this looks like a museum dedicated to helicopters. That's the. Uh, the t- <laughs> so the Prague Aviation Museum was established in 1968. Uh, the museum, located at Kebbly Airport, reflects the rich history of Czech aviation. Uh, Kebli was the first Czechoslovak military airfield, which is still used by the military and VIP aircraft. Mm-hmm. The museum has one of the largest collections of aircraft, numbering nearly 275, wow. of which more than 100 are on display. And the major exhibits uh, are the early Czech aircraft, Soviet aircraft, which served the world wars. And uh, these include a Tu-204, 
and a Praga E114 and an Aleutian IL2. At number four. At number four, the State Aviation Museum of Ukraine in Kiev. Uh, there we go. There's a picture on the screen for those of you in the chat room. Yeah. So located next to uh, the Zuglani Airport, uh, Ukraine State Aviation Museum is noted for its display of Soviet technology. Uh, it was uh, opened in 2003, uh, coinciding with the centenary of aviation history. It boasts more than 70 aircraft, most of which serve former Soviet Union and later Ukraine. Uh, the major attractions are the world's first jet airliner, the Tupolev Tu-104, and the strategic missile carrier, the Tu-22M. Numerous helicopters and naval aircrafts are also displayed here. Ah, very pleased to see this one. This is in at number three. And in at number three, it's one close to us here at uh, in the UK. This one is the Imperial War Museum mm. at Duxford. Opened in 1977, this is the largest aviation museum in Britain, and it was actually a military airfield until 1961. Mm. Uh, the airfield played a pivotal role during the two world wars, and the museum houses about 200 aircraft and many military vehicles. Uh, there are other exhibits like photographs, videos and artefacts uh, that give a glimpse of the history of the wars fought by Britain. Uh, the uh, it also has a huge um, air, uh, American hangar there as mm. well with yeah, lots yeah, yeah. of uh, American Yeah, currently being refurbished at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, penultimately, this is number two. Number two is the National Museum of the United States Air Force, what? Ohio. Right. Now, come on. What on earth is that? Um, what is that? Even <laughs> I am stuck with what that is. That is. Um, that's 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 weird looking. Actually, I'm quite. Uh, do you know? It reminds me of my coach with wings on it. <laughs> that I think it, it's a vertical takeoff kind of an airplane. It, oh, wow. I mean, look at the the prop size is huge. That, that, the that's prop diameter is massive. It's not aerodynamic, is it? It's uh, not the most aerodynamic. It's, it's, it's got no. a big sort of like. Lump at that, honestly, and it has actually got the NASA symbol on the yeah. uh, <coughs> on the fuselage there. Has it? Oh, yeah, oh it's NASA. One yeah, of those aircrafty yeah, yeah. type things, you know, those, those spacey things. So the National Museum of the United States Air Force, Ohio, situated at the Wright Patterson Air Force Base, is uh, the largest and oldest military aviation museum in the world. It was opened in 1923 and is the official museum of the United States Air Force. The museum houses around 360 aircraft and numerous wow. missiles, making it one of the largest collections in the world. There are several president, uh, presidential aircraft uh, on display, including the one that took J.F. Kennedy to Dallas on the day of his assassination. Other prominent uh, attractions uh, as well are the uh, B-29 Super Fortress that dropped the atomic bomb on Nagasaki, and more than one million people visit the museum every year wow that's crazy and finally in at number one this is definitely one on my bucket list of aviation museums i really really want to go to it's the wow. smithsonian national air and space museum in washington dc cool uh, visited by approximately seven million people every year the smithsonian air and space museum um is the first on this top 10 list of amazing uh, aviation museums Opened in 1946, it has the largest collection of aircraft in the world. It's located at uh, National Mall, Washington, the first ever airplane, uh, the Wright Flyer, made uh, by the Wright Brothers and the Apollo 11 Command Module uh, Columbia are the major attractions in the museum. 
The museum also showcases many other aircraft and spacecrafts like the Spirit of St. Louis and Spaceship One. Apart from that, there are around 60,000 exhibits and 14,000 videos and nearly 2 million photographs that shed light on the history of aviation. Mm. The museum operates a companion facility named the Stephen F. Udvahazi Center at Dulles Airport, which was opened in 2003. It houses major aircraft like the Space Shuttle Discovery and the Winnie Mae and the bomber Enola Gay, hey. which dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima during World War II. Cool. So definitely one to, worth having a look at. Actually, David Corston in the chat room, he was just saying, uh, just a quick plug for Ducks for Museum. It's actually always free on um, Remembrance Sunday. Oh, wow. Which is quite cool. Didn't know that. Stuart points out that it's probably still not worth it if you've then got to jump on a plane from where he is because the ticket, I don't suppose, will be free. But uh, there we are. <laughs> and Mila has put that uh, if, uh, if we have go over to the Netherlands that we need to visit the uh, Aviodrome mm. oh cool there we that go quite quickly. so uh, any any of those museums uh, Keith you've, you've been to at all I've been to the Canadian one and I've also been to Wright-Patterson when I was uh, in Air Cadets we made a trip down to Wright-Patterson cool and um, that uh, best thing that I saw there was the Valkyrie they've got one of those Valkyrie uh, XB cool. oh, forget the designation of the XB 60 something it's almost huge goose like looks like a, it's got a big long neck and a uh, really sharp delta wing and six it, yeah f-104 yeah. engines wow <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely i just i just need to go to all these museums yeah absolutely yeah. well when we win the lottery we'll we'll do it we'll, we'll do, we'll, do, we'll, do a, we'll do a live show from every single one we dotted do around the entire <laughs> around the world go we'll, we'll visit this top 10 and do all of them i'll tell you what we'll do we'll take a very quick break uh, and um, watch out in the ad break here because we do have a very special little segment which is our 100th um, uh, behind the scenes from a 100th Video. episode so uh, make sure you keep watching for that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be right back after these messages Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network TheVoicesInYourHead.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from news buyers across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. 
Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> Well, here we are. It is uh, 5.23 in the morning. <laughs> I'm up, I'm dressed, I'm more or less uh, ready to get uh, our uh, big show underway. I'm uh, just in the process, obviously very important job here, making the bacon rolls for a bit later, obviously, because you know, we've got to survive. And there's usually a rule about... Uh, recording in the morning, we must have breakfast, so uh, uh, as you've already seen, if you've seen last week's episode, look, there we are, there's the cake, very kindly made by my mum, bless her, so uh, yeah, it's uh, get breakfast done, I've got a couple of uh, bits of uh, audio feedback that came in overnight, so I'm just going to uh, quickly sit down and edit those, and uh, then it's uh, time to head off to Carlos's, hey! Right, well, there we are. That's the last bit of audio feedback. That's the file all sort. Just got it left to send it to Carl now. Uh, I don't suppose it'll be up yet. It's now uh, approaching 10 to 6 in the morning, which is unheard of on a Saturday. Ew. But uh, never mind. There we are. I do spare a thought for my colleague. He's actually off to London today while I'm doing this, so he's up about the same time. But uh, anyway, right. Uh, time to get ready. Oh, dear, oh, dear. What's the time, Carl? Uh... That's really helpful, thanks. 7.29. Yeah, <laughs> 7.29. It is half past seven. We're on the very exciting A146. We're heading towards the museum. Um, the guy in the middle here, say hello, Stuart. Hello, Stuart. Yeah, right, thanks. <laughs> and we're now on our way up to Norwich. Say good morning, Carl. Good morning, Carl. <laughs> You're all funny, aren't you? We've arrived, ladies and gentlemen. Should we do this? Yes. Let's do it. Um, we're outside the We're all set up. We've got our uh, outside kit here for uh, doing interviews and stuff later. We'll show you in the Vulcan in just a minute. But uh, yeah, that's it. Ready? Bacon Ready. rolls eaten. Yeah. Tea's on its way. Yeah. Okay, guys, this is it. We're about to go live across the world on YouTube. I can't believe. It's actually working. We're in the middle of a Vulcan, in the middle of nowhere, and it's actually working. But uh, wish us luck, guys. It's time for our 100th episode. Yay! for the weekend. 
just just for aviation purposes, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just swing this round. Look, here we go. We've got people being geeks, even after all this. Look, <laughs> what are you like? Say hello. Wave, 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 wave to the camera, Carl. Oh, hold on, sorry. Oh, he's a bit busy. Hello, oh, dear. hello everyone. <laughs> Honestly. Dear. That's it, we've got uh, just the tower to come out and that's it, the Vulcan is uh, no longer our studio. Sad time. Well, that's it, we've, the show's all over, we're just having our, our debrief and a cup of uh, tea and uh, the, the, the nicest lady in the world, the nicest <laughs> lady here at the museum, who's been stuck out in the freezing cold, and I mean the freezing cold all day, making sure that we're left to, to get on with things, is going to do us the great honour of cutting our cake. So, Thank you very we... much, well done. Thank you. And congratulations. And I'll text me. Great pleasure to say 100 episodes. Yeah. Here we go. Woohoo. I hope everybody likes fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. There we are. Oh, thank you, my dear. Thank well you. Well well done. Done. Good, good, good. Can I borrow for the weekend? <laughs> just, just, just for aviation purposes, obviously. We are back. Indeed. So it's uh, more or less time then to uh, welcome uh, our guest. Uh, we're going to have a little chat now. It's uh, time to welcome Keith. He's uh, he's uh, refreshed his. Uh, oh, hang on. He's just he's just getting ready. Uh, he's just refreshed his uh, uh, his beverages. And uh, hello, Keith. Hi. <laughs> yeah. So you're flying the uh, the Twinner Otter at the moment. How did you uh, actually uh, sort of get come into flying? I mean, is it something you've always been a? F yeah. Where did it, where did it all start for you, Keith? Where was your um? Uh, kick? When I was a little boy, my uh, father uh, had me enrolled in Boy Scouts, and um, when I uh, became a teenager, I didn't I didn't really enjoy Boy Scouts very much. We'd move to another city and. Rather than camping and being outdoors, the scouts were more involved with um, marching around and saluting each other and, and uh, pretending to be military people. So I commented to my father that I found it all a bit uh, hard to take, and he asked me if I would be happier in a real military environment, and I foolishly commented that I would later. Um, so he forced me to join air cadets, um, and uh, that involved a lot more marching up and down the square. And can you guys still hear me? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of saluting and marching up the down square and, uh, and then uh, shouting and wearing uniforms. And uh, I didn't really see the point for a long time, but the uh, Canadian Forces has a program where uh, you can enroll in a, a scholarship competition for pilot training. So um, we uh, actually won the competition for my squadron and then wound up getting my private pilot's license. And uh, then... Mostly out of laziness, decided to take aviation in uh, college as well uh, because <laughs> I felt that I already knew how to do it, and uh, I wasn't correct about that. But, uh, the particular college that I went to uh, had a focus on bush flying, you know, float planes and uh, ski planes. So uh, when I graduated, I got a job flying a Cessna 185 on floats, and uh, <laughs> it kind of led on from there. Cool. So. Uh, what are the big challenges going for you know for, for most for people like me in the UK here who are, who are learning to fly or people who fly the the 150 where you've got the, the you know the, the tricycle landing gear as such what are the big big differences going to flying like you do the float planes and ski planes well the airplanes themselves are quite easy to fly they're big um, you know they're not a lot different than the Cessnas uh, big rectangular wings and they're designed to fly slowly um, 
I'd say the challenges are environmental. The landing on water requires it to uh, be able to assess from up above whether the water is deep enough and whether the body of water is long enough that you intend to go to and that there's no underwater obstructions between where you can land and where you intend to go to the shore. Um, and in the winter, uh, the snow, we think of snow as being really puffy and soft and, and uh, it is some places, but in the Arctic, it's like concrete. It's, you can carve blocks out of it. So you have to be able to find a smooth enough spot and again, be able to tell from above whether it's long enough to land and take off on. Well, most of the uh, guys here in the chat room in the UK and, and all around Europe, we've got in the chat room now, and the US have probably all, all seen the the Flying Wild Alaska series mm. that has yeah. been quite big uh, in mm. the last few years. You know, is it that intense? You know, some of the stuff we see on there is, you know, some of these, the 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 um, incidents and stuff they get into it. Is it really that intense when you're flying in those in those conditions? Uh, occasionally, it is, uh, but those shows are all. You know they've they've taken the very the most exciting uh, yeah. circumstances they can to create a television show. So uh, I mean, say that ninety nine percent of the time it's uh, not not terribly frightening. Uh, the scenery is always nice, though. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're actually just uh, watching um, uh, this the, this video you sent us here. This is um, um, sort of whereabouts is is this where this this um, this sh was shot? This is uh, very close to the. Um, coast of the Arctic Ocean by the Queen Maud Gulf, if you look on a map, that's right at the base of the Arctic Archipelago, so um, I'd say probably 68 degrees latitude, maybe. Um, and uh, this is a, there's an exploration camp where they've been drilling into the rock um, uh, looking for minerals, and they've plowed a uh, runway on the surface of the lake right next to the camp. Wow. It's amazing. We're just, just watching it as it comes into land. This is, <laughs> this is uh, awesome. This, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, we've all seen runways. You, we've all seen that shot, haven't we? But it, it, it's it, what frightens me, especially as I say, as you're now just coming into land. Yeah, a lot, here, of, is, a lot of the uh, rock rocks are quite just, high yeah, up. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it must be a real balancing act to sort of try and get uh, everything. Wow, that is just so cool. So what? So what was that shot from? That was a. That's uh, from the uh, De Havilland Buffalo. It's a fifty thousand pound airplane. We use it to haul heavy equipment cool that's just so amazing so 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 what do you usually uh what what sort of well not missions that's that's perhaps not the right word but, but what what is the is it mainly cargo or um are you sort of ferrying people around what what what's the the payload usually it would be anything that you can fit in the plane so right. the uh, the buffalo is strictly cargo we've actually sold those aircraft we don't uh we there's uh the un is operating them in africa right now and we've uh, we've gotten out of the heavy cargo for the time being, and we've uh, purchased ATR 72s to take over the Buffalo's All right, yeah. role. Mm. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't fly those. Um, <laughs> so the Twin Otter would uh, it carries about three thousand pounds of cargo or twenty people, and uh, that would be mostly used to service exploration camps and uh, occasionally tourist lodges. Uh, there's lots of fishing and hunting lodges in the um, in the forest that um, people people pay to come and go fishing, so we'll take them in and out of there. Uh, a lot of Norwegians come here to go canoeing, oddly, um, and we'll carry them in their canoes up to a river in the Barrens, and uh, just basically anything that involves travel in the park is out of the world. So, so what's the weirdest load that you've ever had to carry then? Uh, 2,000 pounds of dead wolverines. 
Dead, dead Wolverines. <laughs> wow, that's that's horrible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's 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 really weird. That so is definitely weird. really weird. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah, I mean, when when you did sorry. your um your uh, your licenses and things, I mean, what what were the steps if you like to go from um sort of like doing the military and things? I mean, did uh, how long does a type rating actually take? Uh, well, it depends. Um, the uh, you know, we started off, uh, I had a, a commercial pilot's license when I graduated from college, and uh, that entitles one to fly any non-high-performance aircraft below 12,500 pounds. So, um, or to be the co-pilot on, you can be a, a, a first officer with a commercial pilot's license. And the ratings that come with that are simply uh, daytime uh, VFR, uh, small airplane, single engine. You can add on a multi-engine rating instrument rating um seaplane like you have to collect all these yeah. these different yeah cool. so we've got uh, we've got some questions coming in in the uh, in the chat room keith we've got uh, chat, a question from tony s and uh, he's asked uh, what extra challenges are there landing on the snow more or less being able to judge the consistency of the snow before you land on it so uh, sometimes you know the, the aircraft has some rather broad skis on its landing gear so we can land on very soft snow um, but one of the interesting things about lakes is uh, south of the tree line the weight of the snow will actually push the ice down and cause water to come up over top of the ice and then it remains insulated by the snow so it doesn't freeze so there actually be a layer of snow a layer of ice or, or water on top of the ice and uh, the aircraft comes along and exposes that layer of water which freezes instantly uh, and that can cause a lot of trouble for getting the aircraft out later. So a uh, technique that we use is we come in and we put the main gear in the snow, but we don't slow the aircraft down below flying speed. So we just drag the skis through the snow and then take off again. And then we come back and look at our tracks to see if there's water coming up through them. So um, are there any big differences between sort of landing on the ice as opposed to like landing on, on water as, as an example? No, uh, landing on ice, if there's been a strip cleared, landing on ice is no different than landing on pavement. It's um, it's not very challenging, really. This is we're we just sort of playing out here. So, so what, what's this aircraft here with the uh, which is landing on the water? That's a, a twin otter as well. It's the same aircraft in the previous video, but with uh, seaplane floats on it. Cool. That's just so cool. So uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny Parkinson in Rome, uh, Keith, has asked... Uh, this may be a silly question, but how do you break on ice? <laughs> uh, no, that's not a silly question. They Sometimes uh, the braking action is very poor when the temperature is uh, close to freezing. Um, but the propeller-driven aircraft have reversible pitch propellers. So as soon as the wheels are down, uh, if you pull the, the thrust levers behind a, uh, a stop, there's an idle stop, and you pull them back further, the propellers will actually reverse pitch and, and break the aircraft aerodynamically. So we've got a question, uh, Matt, you've got here yeah, from absolutely. Uh, Nick, yeah, Captain, Captain, Nick. Captain Nick, the legend that is. He says, uh, do you keep your uh, engine running because of the cold or, or do, can you shut down and refuel, etc., as normal? Uh, sometimes when it's extremely cold, uh, we'll leave one engine running. Mm. Um, some Twin Otters have a system where uh, when we're refueling from drums, we can use the aircraft's bleed air system to pressurize a drum and force the fuel out into the hose. Um, but uh, most of the time, the twin otter engine can actually start from cold at 40 degrees below freezing. So, wow, um, that's crazy. We don't, we don't tend to leave them running. 
Wow. Goodness me. Is it, I mean, is it, it's a Tony, Tony's saying, actually, is it difficult to judge the height with all, all of, like, basically when you're landing on the ice? I mean, it must be very difficult to work out which are the high bits and <laughs> things. With you. all the white, yeah, the yeah. white coloured surfaces all blending in. Yeah, we, we uh, if we're going to a, um, uh, a runway, well, not a runway, but a, a place, uh, a lake or a bear patch in the tundra uh, that we've never been to before, we'll refuse to go there unless the sun is shining on it uh, to create shadows and from the shadows. You can tell the height of the snowdrifts and the, the, the texture of the landing surface. And, uh, <laughs> once we're down, we actually fill uh, bin liners with snow and uh, place them along the sides of where we landed to give us some reference if we come in with visibility support. <laughs> My goodness me. As a Mila was actually saying, I, I'd worry about visual tricks of the mind, especially with all that snow. <laughs> mm. Oh, dear, dear. So are all, all, the, um, all the runways that you land on, Keith, um, yourself and that, are they all, you know, uh, specially purpose, you know, uh, cleared runways, or do you do you have to have to land somewhere where you know someone hasn't been in and made it all nice and flat and and got everything ready for you? Yeah, uh, I don't have a picture of one right now, but our uh, twin otter aircraft will actually um, we can mount larger wheels on it. They're uh, we call them intermediate flotation wheels, and there's also Tundra tires, which are even bigger. And um, if we can find uh, a patch of ground that's around a thousand feet long so 300 meters um that's relatively flat we can land and stop on it and uh, of course with the skis we, we don't ever go to any runways with the skis no we just make our own no God. i mean it's, it's i mean you're so used to sort of seeing these various lo- you know runways and things with all the lights and stuff and of course you don't have any of that no no um when when, when... Oh, you, you don't i'm, I'm getting, guessing it's probably you don't have any of the kind of uh aids that most of the pilots here in the uk have when landing at you know larger airports things like ils and all those sorts of things that you you're totally uh reliant on uh and what you've got inside i'm guessing what you've got inside the aircraft yourself yeah, well, our our home airport here in Yellowknife has the ILS, and it's got lots of uh, RNAV approaches for GPS. Um, and the Twin Otter is equipped to to fly using all those aids. Like it can fly, uh, it can fly IFR um, on instruments and land at any of the big airports with the instrument landing systems. But uh, when we're out in the in the wilderness and and flying, making our own landing areas, we only go if the conditions are visual. It's all visual flying. Gosh. Wow, I, I I I can't even, you know, from someone who knows absolutely nothing about airplanes. I mean, I just cannot, I cannot compute how on earth, you are, honestly. So I'm guessing then, Keith, that you that the heater or the heating system inside the uh, the twin otter must be fairly good if you're, uh, for, you know, not just for you but also for the passengers as well. Yeah, actually, it um, actually all turbine powered airplanes bleed uh, hot air from the compressor section of the engine, so it's just like the heating system on a on a modern jet. It uh, it bleeds off hot air and blows it into the cabin, so we can actually get quite hot in there, even extremely cold conditions. So, what's the sort of duration then of most of your flights, and Keith? What are the sort of longest uh, durations of flight that you have? Well, um, Typically, around an hour. Uh, if you look in the airplane's logbook, the number of hours that it's flown and the numbers of takeoffs and landings that it's done in its life are roughly equivalent. So I'd say that the average flight on a twin otter is about an hour. But um, that's, you know, when we're flying groceries to the local diamond mines and things. But I've been on, you know, uh, flights of 1,000, 2,000 miles up to the near the North Pole. I've uh, been to both coasts on the twin otter. We just... We fly it wherever it's needed, but then it's typical um, 
we try to get it within you know an hour and a half to two hours cruising distance from where it's going to be doing the work and uh, it makes it economical so um, uh, Stuart in the chat room is saying again, uh, which again is a, a, a brilliant question. It's like, do you have any trouble? Because I mean, presumably, weather conditions can change really, really fast. Um, especially out in, uh, you can go from a really nice day um, if you like. All right, obviously you've got the white stuff still about, but I mean, I mean, the conditions must change so fast. I mean, how how can you plan for something like that? Well, we've got a good weather forecasting service in Canada, um, and uh, uh, most of the pilots have a lot of local knowledge about meteorological phenomena and the things that can happen. And, uh, we don't typically do a trip unless we've got a plan for what we'll do if the weather gets bad. And then, you know, the smaller planes that can't fly on instruments, uh, that plan usually includes landing on a, a lake not at your destination and waiting for the weather to get better on the twin otter we can just climb up into the weather and we've got the icing equipment and instruments and radar and the whole bit so we don't need to really worry about it <laughs> so for me for me keith flying in the uk here in you know in the area that i fly in um well i obviously have in this in the 150 i fly i've got no no gps or anything like that we hit we are obviously training using maps and the whiz mm. wheel and, and the stuff like that um but for me when i'm flying around here it's on a good clear visibility day i can always pretty much tell where i am um uh, because there's lots of um stuff like you know landmarks that i know where i am i can see this landmark here i know where that is but for you out there i'm guessing that the, you know there's not a huge amount of when you're out in the wilderness there's not a huge amount of landmarks that you can sort of sort of see, you know see it's all it's yeah. all kind of just one white you know the snow sort of covered terrain well we uh we have a lot of lakes so um, every lake has a distinct outline that is visible on the map, you know, and so you, you tend to sort of, if you're using the map to navigate, you'll hop from, basically, uh, you'll draw a line on the map like you do, um, but our, our visual waypoints that we look out for would be uh, a lake of a peculiar shape or a particularly prominent headland or a hill or something, and there's, there's lots of features. It takes a little bit of a, um, a mental realignment to try to figure out... Um, exactly what you're looking at but it, it, you get used to it <laughs> i don't know if i could ever get used to it it's just absolutely crazy but i, I think if I, that was me i'd be forever taking photos what? all the time <laughs> i'm flying it'd be terrible especially with the sceneries and that that uh, you know you see on the on the telly when you see these you know the pictures and the pictures you've you've the videos that you've sent us obviously as well keith are fantastic what matt mm. has been playing out on here yeah well. uh, what, the um uh, just uh, how long have you been been flying the, these routes uh, I've lived in Illinois for 10 years, and I flew in Ontario for 10 years before that with a brief, um, spent one year flying seaplanes on the, in British Columbia yeah. on the coast. So. Goodness me. But it's all been the same type of flying. Uh, uh, Dan has uh, uh, sent a text in a, a, a question, which was, uh, could, you ask, uh, could you ask him what the highlights of his career as a wilderness pilot have been? Is there any particular day that stands out as uh, one of those um, like a wow, wow day? Yeah. Well... Uh, one year, the Canadian Forces operates Twin Otters for search as search and rescue and light cargo aircraft, and they um, their squadron in Yellowknife uh, was uh, down in aircraft for maintenance, and so they chartered us to accompany them to go to Ellesmere Island, which is the northernmost island in the Arctic. And um, the Canadian Army was uh, circumnavigating there on on snowmobiles. Uh, they were um, they were just p basically patrolling. The, the whole coast of Ellesmere Island uh, as a sovereignty exercise, and they required air support, and we got to join the 440 Squadron. Um, 
and uh, do a lot of the searching for these guys and looking ahead for a route for them and bringing supplies and that was pretty exciting yeah I bet. I bet. so Mila has got another question for you Keith uh, if you land on water uh, do you have to do a walk round before you take off or is it uh, <laughs> or do you do a swim around <laughs> a swim around obviously <laughs> I no, mean, we have we, to do what you do. A, you know, obviously you can't uh, walk all the way around the aircraft, but you can um, inspect. We can walk on the roof of the aircraft, so we'll right. climb up yeah. and do a walk around from up above. We actually check the engine oil from the top, so there's a ladder up the side of the aircraft, and we'll climb up there and walk around the aircraft on the, on the roof, basically. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, wow. Any aircraft uh, that you could fly, uh, Keith, had you had a ch- if you had a chance to fly... Any aircraft in the world, uh, regardless of what it is, um, what would be your aircraft of choice and why? Does it have to currently exist? No, it could be it could be uh, a, an extinct aircraft. Anything at all. What uh, what would be the one? Well, this might sound kind of obvious, but I, I've always been really excited by the space shuttle. If I had a chance oh, wow. and there was a way that this could ever happen, I would love to try landing the space shuttle. Really? Wow. <laughs> We've never had that one no, before. No, no, that, that, that First is a time new one. Yeah, yeah, that's a definitely a new one. That is a us, new yeah. one, yeah. Uh, t- Tony was actually asking, it sounds like, apologies if it appears like a bit of a stupid question, but uh, do you change, um, like, floats to wheels to skis and that sort of thing, or are they just set, you know, one has wheels, one has skis, one has floats? I mean, is it something you can change um, with the otters? Um, or, yeah, or, actually, the, um, the landing gear uh, is removable. Uh, it's made to be easily removable. And um, the seaplane floats will bolt right onto the same uh, area on the aircraft that the wheels go. So um, we uh, bring the aircraft into the hangar and lift it up with a crane and then uh, take the wheels off and bring the floats underneath and attach them. And then uh, there's a special little dolly uh, beaching gear. There's wheels that attach to the sides of the floats and then it just trundles down and goes into the lake. And then after it's in the lake, they take the wheels off and it's in the water for the summer. Wow. Now, I always ask this question, and I always get told off for doing it by some pilots, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Oh is there a flight that you've had which you'd like to forget? One, you know, like, not, I don't, I'm not talking about disaster movie sort of style here. Is there, is there a flight that really hasn't gone according to plan that's been a bit horrible, a flight that you'd like to forget? I don't know. There, there was one where, uh, well, the 2000 Dead Wolverines really didn't smell very good. No. Um, <laughs> I can imagine, yes. But there was one, when I was working in Ontario, I flew uh, a single, uh, the Havilland Dash 3, which is the single engine precursor to the Twin Otter. And um, we were flying rather late in the winter, uh, it was in the springtime. And um, I had phoned my boss uh, that morning and told him that uh, I didn't think we should be landing on lakes anymore uh, with the skis because I thought the ice was getting a little bad. And uh, he said, okay, uh, bring the airplane home at the end of the day is fine. So uh, on the very next flight, when I landed, the aircraft dropped through the ice, and um, we had to uh, spend the night on the shore waiting for a helicopter to come and rescue us. But uh, we actually managed to get the airplane back because the lake was shallow enough that it wasn't fully submerged. So uh, an even larger helicopter came by about two weeks later and lifted the whole aircraft out of the lake and took it to the nearest airport. And, uh, I didn't wow. like that very much. No, I could imagine. <laughs> that's really, that's really horrible. So, Keith, give us a, a, a kind of. Um, uh, and it's a, a kind of description of it, an average day for you. 
There's several different kinds of average day, I suppose. You know, in the summertime, while we're flying the seaplane, we have a, a, a dedicated seaplane base down in the harbor uh, in Yellowknife. And um, that's my favorite time of year and my favorite aircraft. So uh, we'll, we'll go down there uh, usually an hour or an hour and a half prior to the first flight. And uh, the first officer will make we get in the computer and check the weather. Um, and we'll brief each other on what the weather's doing for the area that we'll be flying in. Um, and we'll uh, set to work loading and fueling the aircraft. We do that ourselves. Uh, we have some ground crew to help. Um, uh, a question from Stuart. Uh, he says, uh, they do island hopping with twin otters in very sunny places. Have you done anything like that? Uh, no, I've never gone. Uh, a lot of my friends have worked in the Maldives. Um, but uh, uh, I've done a little bit of that work with a single otter on the British Columbia coast. Um, in the in the Gulf the Gulf Islands in the ocean there, but nothing really noteworthy. Oh. Sounds lovely. The Maldives. Yeah, I know yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah. That was oh, that was where I had my first seaplane flight on. Was uh, it with that? Yeah, well, on a honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. and I'll tell you, it is another. It's a totally different experience when you're when you're taking off and landing on water. Yeah, it absolutely. Is, uh, it's yeah. amazing. And those guys when we, when we flew, they, they were literally. It was that hot. You know, they, they were flying bare feet. You know, bare feet on the rudder pedals. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing watching. I tell you, really good. Okay. Actually, you should try it sometime. It's um. With the bare feet on the rudder pedals, you can feel the airplane. Yeah, I should I, do. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, I suppose <laughs> you can, <laughs> can't you? Cause yeah, it's with so the, with the crosswind landings we have in this country, Keith, yeah, that's probably a good idea. We should have more <laughs> more pilots with uh, with bare feet. That'd be yeah. great, yeah. So okay. uh, going back to uh, to the weather and that that uh, you have there a lot of people perceive it as being uh, that you have you know that you have this horrendous weather all the time, especially when you're in the in the in the wilds. Well, I can take the camera to the window if you'd like to look out. <laughs> it's, pro it's probably going to be sunny. Yeah, it's going to be sunny. It's probably going to be hugely sunny outside. Here we go. Oh, we're off for a bit of a walk. Oh. I'm looking forward to seeing some snow. Yeah, absolutely. And we haven't had any. Yeah, we, we don't have... Oh, oh wow. Look at that. Goodness me. Now, that look is at that. <gasps> we, don't, we don't ever get snow here in this country. All no. we ever get is snow. Sn you know, which yeah. is, and our con <laughs> our complete our country sort of completely comes with grinds to a halt, which is uh, a tad frustrating. But uh, yeah, no, it is that is that is uh, the chat room's going crazy. There it is an absolutely stunning view. Wow, from Jonathan. So, uh, Keith, a, ch uh, a question from uh, Tony S in the chat room: uh, Is your work all year round, or does it sometimes get too cold in the winter time to fly? We, uh, we have a cutoff temperature of um, minus 45, but we won't, uh, we won't send people out into the, um, into the barrens if it's colder than that. But, uh, and there's times where it's very busy and there's times where it isn't. Um, in uh, late December, there's not enough daylight to, uh, to be able to do a full no, flight. You know, the sun's only up for four or five hours. And, um, most of the companies that... Uh, do exploration work uh, we'll shut their camps down until march just to take advantage of the better temperatures and daylight in march but uh we we have a, a certain basic level of service for the whole year and tony's just put it minus 30 is that celsius or fahrenheit <laughs> no, oh that. celsius yeah. <laughs> goodness me just watching a video then of you on the uh, on the YouTube feed now no then uh <laughs> seems to have dropped a fish, dropped a fish. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Actually, I'm up on the roof in this picture, and uh, that's my co-pilot who's fishing. He's mad about fishing, and uh, whenever we stop on the lake, he's got his fishing pole out. 
<laughs> I do not blame him at all. That you, you, you don't bother with the fishing then, uh, Keith? Well, I no, I, I'm not very lucky at fishing. So I, uh, if I've got a co-pilot <laughs> like him, I don't need to be good at fishing. Well, no, that's true. Yeah. So going back to, yeah. to, to, to cruising, do you tend to fly with the uh, the same co-pilot all the time or does it uh, does it change daily? Uh, we've got um, about four captains and four co-pilots at any given time. There's three twin otters in the fleet. So um, any one of us might wind up flying with any other of us, really. Um, but since there's only eight of us, we know each other fairly well. Okay, very cool. And uh, what are the hour kind of regulations and stuff over in Canada for uh, for pilots? What are the, uh, the the limits and stuff for the hours of flying? The, uh, they're, they're similar to ICAO limits everywhere. Uh, we're yeah. not allowed to fly more than 1,200 hours per year uh, is an absolute limit for any commercial or airline pilot. Um, there's uh, some exemptions for smaller aircraft, and actually the Twin Otter itself is written into the Canadian air regulations um, that... There's an exemption there that a twin autopilot can fly up to 140 hours per month instead of 120, which is standard. Um, but you'll, you can only do that a certain number of months per year, and it is just meant to take into account the fact that that aircraft has seasons where it's very busy and seasons where it's not very busy. So a question I always ask uh, when we do uh, do the interviews of pilots and stuff, uh, Keith, is um, apart from the job you do, obviously flying the flying that you do, do you do any kind of recreational flying yourself when you know on, on the sort of downtime? Uh, not really. Um, I have a friend whose father owns a seaplane, and uh, he sometimes talks me into taking him in it to visit his camp if his father's not around to fly it. But uh, I don't really seek out recreational flying. But I fly every day, so I don't feel that I miss it on days off. <laughs> no. I think most of the pilots we interview don't they say that yeah you know, the, the the commercial pilots and stuff that they don't really do any other kind of hobby flying at I mean, all because the job takes up so much of their time slightly yeah. different I mean I used to mend computers for a living but mm. I couldn't think of anything worse if you like than playing people saying oh what computer games you <laughs> into you, you <laughs> mend computers you must be really into computers and it's like no I've spent my head inside one all day the last thing I want to do when I come home is play with a computer so it's uh, I, mm. I guess that could apply to, to pilots as well yeah that's what I tend to tell my friend when he wants me to fly his airplane um, <laughs> but if I uh, if I ever stopped flying for a living, I would certainly fly recreationally. Yeah. I, um, I find flying is actually more exciting when you have a mission. So, um, yeah. you know, rather than hopping in an airplane and just flying around looking out the window, if somebody yeah. has something that needs to be taken somewhere, uh, it actually, when there's a goal, uh, flying is more exciting. So what are the uh, costs, as a matter of interest, in Canada, uh, Keith? What are the kind of costs, do you know, of, uh, of learning to fly? Um, you know, you know, for your PPL, because obviously in the UK, most people, as most people know, as probably you know yourself, you know, learning to fly here in the UK is not the cheapest thing to do. No, I've heard that people will actually come to North America to take flying lessons, yeah. uh, and then they'll convert their license, and it winds up being less expensive. Um, but I, I learned to fly twenty years ago, and that was on a Air Force scholarship, so right. I don't uh, really have. D- don't really have the numbers. No, it's. To, to give you an idea, Keith, I don't know what the conversion is in Canadian dollars, but for here, um, where I'm learning to fly, it works out for a one-hour uh, lesson dual in the 150 at about 170 quid, Gosh. 170 pounds. Oh, that's yeah, that's about double what it would be here, I would think. Yeah, ah. See, no, well, that, that seems to be the general theme. It's basically lear- learning to fly here in the UK is ridiculously expensive. 
they're, they're just busy chatting about your aircraft actually in in the chat yeah room tony, the actually tony's just asked quite a good question uh keith uh, do you have a special fuel uh, for the low temperatures yeah they have a um the twin otter is rated to burn uh it can burn a thing called arctic diesel which is basically kerosene with um some anti-icing additives um but most jet fuel uh is I forget what the flashpoint is, but it, it'll burn quite happily at minus fifty. But there are certain wow. additives in it to stop uh, ice crystals from forming, which right. I think uh, airliners have too. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, well, as I say, the last thing you need is is your fuel to freeze to disappear yeah. while you're while you're out, yeah. while you're out in the air. It's um, uh, Mika was saying that uh, it's a great plane. They're talking about your little otter. I used to fly one as a passenger from Denver to uh, is it Pueblo Pueblo uh, along the east side of the Rocky Mountains. It was a wonderful plane. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's rugged. Like it's uh, it's very difficult to damage the aircraft through normal use, and it mm-hmm. uh, requires very little maintenance. Um, requires very little room to take off and land. Yeah, uh, it can fly very slowly, um, so it's actually a very safe airplane. Okay. And they're still making the twin otter as well, aren't they, Keith? They are a company. Uh, there was a company called. There is a company called Viking Air, and they uh, were the original when. De Havilland stopped producing the Twin Otter. They took up the uh, production of spare parts, and um, they eventually were approved to build entirely new Twin Otters. And uh, they call it the Series 400 now, and they're brand new, completely modern, all the yeah, parts electronic. There's a lot of love for the Otter, actually, in the chat room, uh, it has to be said. But uh, listen, anyway, thank you very much for your time. It's been brilliant. So that's where we're going to uh, wrap the uh, the show up today. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for your, for being so generous with your time, Keith. It's uh, been really interesting. Yes, thanks, Keith. Thank you very much oh, for uh, pleasure, taking time out of your day to, to come and join us and uh, answer all the questions, not just from us, but also from, uh, from the guys in the chat room. So. Indeed. So that's where we bring episode number 101 to a close. Don't forget to get in touch with the show. It is uh, our email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, the website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. And of course, you've got Facebook, which is uh, uh, f- uh, facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. And our Twitter handle, last but by no means least, is at plaintalkinguk. So that's don't forget, it. yes, to uh, send, don't forget to send us your feedback in as well. We'd yeah, love we to love hear your feedback, feedback yeah. and audio, especially audio feedback as yeah. well. And send that please to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. If you are listening on the podcast and you'd like to see some of the videos that Keith has very kindly shows, you can watch the show that we've just done, uh, which you're listening to. Sorry, there is a visual version of that. That's available via YouTube. It's www.youtube.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. And if you want to ever watch the show live, we always post what time it's. Uh, it's going to start to watch it live all you have to do is put it into your smart tv into your device into your laptop into whatever it is that you use to get online that's youtube.com forward slash plain talking uk forward slash live yes so me and matt will be back next week for episode 102 very scary how how, uh, how did we get up that high up that high up that hay. up that hay. hay. <laughs> that's a shame we're in a field now we are indeed yes i don't know matt yeah <laughs> i think it's i think it's because we skipped dessert earlier i think it is it's all right well well with that in mind i think it's time to bring the show to a close so as i say thank you very much to all our very loyal listeners um you you are the reason why we do this show and we're eternally grateful um for for all your input as it's uh that's it uh, so i'm just looking at the temperature i've just looked on the uh, weather channel yeah uh i don't know how how accurate this is keith but just looking at the weather channel app on uh, on the uh, tablet here in front of me yeah it's putting you at minus 26 and fair oh <laughs> oh good it's warmed up 
<laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, as I say, seriously, Keith, uh, the, the, there's a lot of love for you in the chat room. Uh, everyone from Mika to Tony to to Jenny to Stuart, everyone's saying thank you uh, to you in the chat room. Thank you yeah. very much for yeah. your time. Hats off to you, Keith. Well done. Oh, yep. my pleasure. Thanks, fellas. A pleasure. Pleasure. Right, that's it. Uh, it's uh, time to say goodbye. So, uh, from all of us here, give us a wave, Keith. Say goodbye. <laughs> Really? Hey. And and uh, what's your name? Uh, what's your name, Carl? That's um, it. Yeah, um. give us a wave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll go. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely. Take and, care. Have a and, have a great rest of the weekend. And from me and Mum, it's goodbye. Bye. Bye.